Good morning, church. Here we are, first Sunday of 2024. We're all still coming off the, the high of the recent Advent season, still fresh in the hope that 2024 holds for us. And as a church, you know, this new year also holds for us a new series that we're going to begin today, BC 24. The message this morning will help introduce this new focus. It's on biblical community. That's what the BC stands for, biblical community. And to connect the dots from where we were in 2023 to where we're going in 2024, I want to begin with something that I learned many years ago when Stephanie and I read a book. Now, we already had a number of years of marriage under our belts at the time, but man, this book that we read together, it was world-changing uh, to us. It helped us so much in uh, understanding one another and the differences uh, in men and women, how we each think and process information. This book is called Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti. <laughs> and I know that's a really goofy title, but I'm telling you, there is paradigm-shifting, marriage-strengthening insight in this book. The basic premise is this, that, that most men we think in boxes, like, like a waffle has boxes, right? And, and it's almost always just one box at a time, <laughs> right, guys? If I'm in the work box, I'm not thinking about other stuff. And when I'm uh, in the sports box, I'm not thinking about the kids. When I'm uh, in the home repair box, that's all that's on my mind, right? You, you get the idea. We live in one box at a time. Am I right, guys? Right? Well, most women, however, are more like spaghetti, that is, that is, there's this complicated web of interconnected thoughts, and it's like this plate of spaghetti where everything touches everything else, and one thing leads to another. So she's thinking about like 17 different things all at the same time. And I don't even understand how that happens or how it works, all right? It's, it's just beyond me. I just know that that illustration... It is spot on in my home. From time to time, in fact, Stephanie and I will be talking about something. If there's a lull and all of a sudden she might spout something out, and I'm like, it's just like out of left field. I'm like, what? Where in the world did that come from? And um, she usually doesn't even want to tell me, you know, because, you know, I've got this stupefied curiosity, like, how did you get there? And she just might be like, okay. And she has to think through how to dumb it down for me, right? To give me the, 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 the brief version of I went from, well, I was thinking about this, and that caused me to remember that, and then I was thinking about this over here, and bam, 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 bam. And eight steps later, I got to this seemingly random statement. And that, I mean, that, that's what's going on in her head all the time. Now, now Pam Farrell, who wrote the Waffles and Spaghetti book, she wrote together with her husband. Uh, she gives this illustration from when her young son um, got injured. She said, while we would both, that means she and her husband, we would both run to the aid of our son, but many very different thoughts would be going through our heads. Dad, for instance, might be in the, the tough guy box. Well, there's no blood. Bones aren't broken. He's still breathing. All right, son, you're okay. Suck it up. You know, <laughs> you're going to be okay. By the way, did I ever show you the scar on my knee, you know, from where I, and that's kind of the tough dad box that he might be in. Well, mom's thoughts, though, might be more of a, a primer in interconnectedness and how one thing leads to another. She says this, you know, for me, it was like, uh, I have to see, is he okay? Well, it looks like it. There's no broken bones. He's breathing, a little blood. You know, he's got this scraped knee. All right, buddy, you're going to be all right. 
oh, but now I have to help him balance this. <coughs> Excuse me. It's okay for him to express emotion. He needs to know that. But I don't want him to be a wimp. If he's a wimp, then he'll be made fun of at school. His self-esteem will take a hit. He'll make poor life choices. He might get into drugs or alcoholism. <laughs> then again, if I don't allow him to express emotion, he, he, he'll become this tough, non-emotional male. He'll miss out on the depth of relationships. His kids and wife will feel emotionally distant from him. He could end up divorced or disillusioned and depressed. He could be suicidal. I've got to help him respond appropriately to the scrape on his knee, <laughs> right? You, you get the picture. Man, my brain is tired just reading through all of that. Ladies, if that's the way that your brain works, man, I have just that much more respect for you that you're able to get anything done on a given day, right, with all those thoughts jumbled around in your head. Well, I don't know if the waffles and spaghetti illustration truly plays out in your home like it does in mine, but that kind of follow the bouncing ball, one thing leads to another, interconnectedness is precisely what we see on display here in Acts chapter number 2, where we're going to study this morning. Wait, wait, and I hear you now. Wait, Acts, Jason? Acts, really? I mean, didn't we just finish the book of Acts? Yes, we did. But we're diving back in. Not for a lengthy verse-by-verse study of the whole book. Not even for the whole chapter, all right? We're going to look at just six verses this morning. Because the interconnectedness of how we go from gospel conversations to biblical community, it's kind of like that plate of spaghetti. There's, there's one thing leads to another, and we see it play out right here in Acts chapter number 2. And so that's where, why we're going back there. We're going to use Acts 2, in fact, as kind of a, a foundation over the next several weeks um, as we're introducing this emphasis on biblical community for 2024. Now, as you look at your ministry guide outline this morning and the fill in the blanks, you'll notice there are some arrows and indentations of lines and all of that is there to help us kind of visualize and follow along how one thing leads to the next thing, leads to the next thing and, and, and so forth. And just like it did for the early church in Acts chapter number two. You'll also notice that there are seven points in your outline this morning, which means we're going to have to move rather briskly through these six verses in Acts chapter number two. Now, just before we begin reading, let me give you some context. Remember that Acts 2, that, that happened on what's called the day of Pentecost. This was a day, a, a time when Jews from all over the world had come together in Jerusalem. Well, opportunistic Peter is there. He was filled with the Holy Spirit that day, and he began preaching the gospel to them. Following that preaching, one thing led to another, and we see that in Acts 2, beginning in verse number 37. It says there, now when they, these Jews from all over the world, when they heard this, this being the sermon that Peter had just preached, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Notice verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, 
and the prayers. All right, so there's this lengthy chain of events that happens here, and, and it all begins with a gospel presentation. We see that actually in verses 14 through 36. We did not read those this morning, but it says in verse 37, when they heard this, and remember, this is the this that they heard that day. That was Peter's sermon there on the day of Pentecost. It's what Luke has summarized for us in verses 14 through 36 in the bulk of chapter 2. And we're not going to go back and dig through all the details of that sermon this morning. Let me just remind you what we pointed out from Peter's overall outline. And by the way, we did that back on in October of 2022. That's when we started uh, in the book of Acts back then. All right, so here's the overall, excuse me, the overall outline of, of Peter's sermon that day. He spoke about Jesus' authenticity as the righteous Lord and our sufficient Savior. He spoke then about God's plan to redeem man unto himself through the substitutionary death of Christ. He, he talked in that sermon also about their guilt, the people's guilt as, as sinners before the one holy God. And then he talked about Jesus' victory over sin and death and hell through the blood of his cross and his glorious resurrection. In other words, as you look at that on the screen, you notice Peter just, he just laid out the gospel for them their need for Jesus, the only Savior. It was a direct gospel presentation, probably very similar to a gospel presentation that you who were saved once heard. And it kicked off this series of events, of interconnected events in your own life. You see, that gospel presentation, it led then to gospel conviction. We find that in verse number 37. There was conviction. It says they were cut to the heart. There was this sense of guilt as these folks realized their own sinfulness. Now, I cannot prove this to you definitively from Scripture, but I believe that some who were in the crowd that day as Peter's preaching the gospel, I believe some of those are the very same folks who had been in the crowd a little over 50 days earlier and when Pilate brought Jesus out to them and they shouted, crucify him. I think some of the same folks, because they were in Jerusalem for Passover at that point, I think some of those fame, same folks either stayed over or came back to Jerusalem for, uh, um, uh, for the day of Pentecost. These folks had been misled by the religious leaders there in Jerusalem, and they had joined in with the rest of the disappointed crowd on what we call Good Friday in crucifying Christ. Well, now Peter has plainly laid out the gospel and showed, I think, many of the same people just what verse 36 summarizes, that this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. In other words, he told them that Jesus is the holy God himself in the flesh of man, and he is, in fact, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one come to save man. And now as the dots began to connect for these people who heard Peter's sermon that day, they realized that indeed they had crucified the Lord of glory just over 50 days earlier. And so now they're, they're gripped with guilt over their sin. They're convicted and devastated by their failure to recognize that he is the, the Lord and Savior. And so they were cut to the heart. Peter's very authentic, raw presentation of the gospel led to their conviction over sin. And let me tell you, the gospel still does that today. It brings conviction as the Spirit of God helps us to recognize our sin. The gospel likewise brings conviction still today, and that's necessary. But now watch where it goes from there. 
that gospel conviction led next to gospel conversations. We see it in verses 37 to 40. It says there in verse 37 that they said, these people said to Peter and to the other apostles there, what must we do? I mean, a conversation began. There were a bunch of gospel conversations. These convicted folks who had been exposed to the gospel and convicted by their sin, they had some follow-up questions like, I'm, I need to understand a little bit here. And I don't think it played out like some organized talk show where Peter's up on platform and the apostles, they're carrying a mic around the crowd like, oh, did you have a question for Peter? Go right ahead. And then Peter handled them one at a time. You know, it didn't go down like that. It was not organized and calm and orderly with this back and forth with the main speaker. I think these guilty Jewish folks, they just began to flag down any believer that they could find and they began to engage them in conversation because they wanted to better understand this gospel and what it means and how it works and how to trust Jesus for salvation. That broad gospel presentation led to their gospel conviction, and then that brought on a whole lot of gospel conversations. The believers, and by the way, there were only 120 of them when the day started there in Jerusalem, but these believers, they had to be ready to engage these other folks and work through their questions about the gospel in conversation. That sounds really familiar for some reason, doesn't it? Like we talked about that for the last year, engaging people in conversation about the gospel. Well, notice verse number 38. It says, and Peter then said to them. And so there's this back and forth conversation happening. He expounded more on the mechanics of the gospel, how to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 40 tells us that with many more words, translation, through a lot more conversation, he continued to point them toward salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, you may be wondering right about now, so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that no, we are not diving back into the details of gospel conversations this morning. That was our emphasis in 2023. And it's not like gospel conversations go away. Church, we've got to continue having those gospel conversations, of course. Uh, um, but I will tell you that GC23 this, that emphasis, that's one of the most successful campaigns that I've ever been a part of. And let me explain to you why. I know some of you are just dying to know, did we hit the goal? Did we have 23,000 gospel conversations? And to answer that question, I don't really know. We spent the first third of the year, I mean, just beating the drum to encourage everyone at First Hearst to report and record those gospel conversations. Tell us about them. And we learned through those four months that our congregation just really isn't that interested in reporting gospel conversations, all right? And so, and that's okay, church, really, it's okay. What I can tell you is this, that over the course of the year, our folks did report well over 10,000 gospel conversations that they had in the home, in the workplace, at school, in the community. The people of First Hearst spent the year of 2023 introducing people to Jesus and applying God's word to life in conversation. 10,000? Jason, that's a long way from 23,000. Yeah, it is. But three things to consider as we follow up on that. Number one, <laughs> There were a whole lot more gospel conversations that happened in 2023, conversations that just didn't get reported, all right? In fact, I personally have no doubt that we actually hit and surpassed that goal of 23,000. You just didn't tell us about it. And again, that's okay. Um, secondly, 
even if the number was just 10,000, just 10,000. Can we stop for a moment and consider that? 10,000 gospel conversations happened last year. Can we give God praise for that? Amen. That's a beautiful thing. Thirdly then, hard numbers aside, what we know for sure is that more gospel conversations happened in 2023 than were happening in the years leading up to 2023. I know I had more gospel conversations in this past year. It was more on my mind. It was um, before us more. The Spirit of God brought, brought it up to me, and, and I was more sensitive to that. And so for that, we give the Lord great praise as well. Again, it doesn't go away. We continue on having gospel conversations. Amen, church? Amen. All right. All right. So one thing led to another. The gospel presentation led to gospel conviction. That went to gospel conversations. Next, we see those conversations led to gospel conversions. In verse number 41, gospel conversions, it says those who received his word. Now, the word that they received was the gospel. And in fact, a huge number of folks, it tells us about 3,000 souls that day, surrendered to Jesus as their Savior. Man, what a glorious day of salvation it was. Now, we don't actually see the word conversions there in the scriptural text, but I chose to use that word because it portrays the change that these new believers made as they received the word, the word of the gospel. They converted to faith in Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior. In other words, they made a hard break from believing as they had in the past that they could somehow save themselves by their good deeds or or. or, or through their religious rituals, they broke from that. They received the word of the gospel, and that meant they accepted that they were helpless to save themselves. They had to fall completely upon the great grace and mercy of Jesus Christ for their forgiveness to find salvation in him alone. And let me just ask a direct question of you this morning. Have you surrendered to Jesus as your Savior like those new believers who converted that day? Have you acknowledged your sin that has separated you from God? Have you turned away from your efforts of trying to save yourself, trying to earn acceptance with God on your own? Have you trusted in Jesus as the only one who can forgive you and reconcile you to the Father? In other words, have you received the word of the gospel? That's what those 3,000 folks did that day in Jerusalem. And let me tell you, it's still the gospel that's saving souls today. And friend, I'm going to tell you, you can trust Jesus right where you are. But I would strongly encourage you this morning to step out during our time of response. It's coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Step out and do like those folks did on the day of Pentecost there in Acts chapter number two. Just flag someone down and say, hey, I've got some questions about this gospel thing and what it means to trust Jesus. Can we talk about salvation? And flag one of us down. You can easily find one of our pastors, ministers, prayer partners, and man, let's talk. Let's have a gospel conversation this morning about trusting Jesus. You can do that even today. All right, so I think you get the picture by now that one thing was leading to another through this chapter. Well, next, those gospel conversions led to gospel demonstrations. It's in verse number 41 as well. Those 3,000 new believers were baptized that day, and in doing so, they demonstrated the gospel. Don't get the wrong idea about baptism. It is not what saved them. In fact, baptism doesn't save anyone. 
It's not some mystical religious rite that somehow dispenses grace or forgiveness to, to people. Baptism is not, in other words, salvific. That's the theology term that we would apply to it. What that means is that it can't save you. Baptism, rather, is a public display. It's a demonstration that symbolizes the change that the gospel has brought in your life. It demonstrates the gospel because it pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. At the same time, it pictures also the death of the person you once were, unsaved, separated from from God, far from him because of sin. Baptism shows that that former person is no longer, but you've been raised— and to new life in Jesus Christ. There's this transformation that happens when a person is saved by the gospel. That transformation is on display. It is symbolically displayed, pictured in the process of baptism. It portrays the change that the gospel brings because when a new believer is baptized, that person is saying publicly that I've died to the old self and the old life, and they've been raised, now living a new life unto Christ, showing the world they've been transformed. It's a demonstration of the change that the gospel has brought. So authentic biblical baptism is necessarily something that follows conversion. It's not done to you to give you salvation. Rather, baptism is something you actively participate in in order to demonstrate your salvation. So we can look at verse 41 and say that gospel conversions led to gospel demonstrations. And that in turn then led to gospel additions. Still in verse number 41, it says there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They were added to the church. This multitude of souls that believed the gospel of salvation in Christ, these many who displayed their new faith in, in this demonstration of baptism, they were now joyfully added to the family of faith in the Lord's church. You see, baptism has long been recognized as kind of the doorway into church membership. In fact, members of First Hearst here are those who've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus and have also been baptized as believers. For when someone is baptized over here in the baptistry, they become a member of the body of Christ here at First Hearst. They're added to the body. And you know, unfortunately, church membership seems to have really taken a hit in recent years. By and large, membership, uh, church membership is not seen as all that important by a lot of folks. Um, um, I'll just worship where I want, when I want. I don't need a church for that. Okay. Involvement in church has similarly taken a, 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 is seen differently. I'll say that. It used to be that an active member of a church was someone who was here in their seat every week. Count on it like so many of you. But over the years, that, has, that mentality has shifted. Active now, or, or since then, it's shifted to, well, you know, three weeks out of four, I'm going to be there. And eventually, maybe about 10 years ago, it's like, you know, one out of three Sundays, you can count on me, I'm going to be there. And now, many people consider themselves active members of a church if they're here eight, 10 times in a year. That perspective, you can see how that perspective has changed. And that's just talking about showing up, being in a worship service, never mind getting involved, doing life with other believers, serving in the church. Now, if you've been added to this church body, what I mean is if you are a member here at First Hearst, consider are you truly an active member 
of First Hurst? Are you a part of the body? Are you engaging in the gathering and the growing and the going as we say it? Maybe in this new year, you just need to become truly active as part of the church body here. Well, finally then, as we move on, we see in Acts chapter 2 that those gospel additions led to, you guessed it, gospel community. Community. And we see this in verse number 42, this beautiful display of gospel community. And and let me just tell you quickly about the elements that we find there. We see in verse number 42, commitment. It says that they devoted themselves. These new believers uh, had a deep and very real devotion as authentic believers in Jesus. What they devote themselves to? The Word of God. It says the apostles' teaching, which was the Word of God. Their community was built on the foundational, unchanging truth of God's holy Word. Their community also was there because they were devoted to fellowship. I mean, this new life in Christ was happening together with other believers. They were committed to one another, loving one another, doing life together with one another, building one another up, serving together in this mission of, the way we say it here, guiding all generations to know and follow Christ. Their community was built also on a foundation of devotion to worship. Now, it says here in verse 42, to the breaking of bread. All right, but that's pointing to communion, like we observed just a little while ago. Communion, that time where the body of Christ would come together to celebrate the gospel and worship together. It was an act of worship. And then they were devoted also to prayer. They became people of prayer. They prayed together with and for one another. Gospel community. It was on display there in Acts 2.42, and that is an appropriate way to describe it. Gospel community. Because it was centered around the gospel. But here at First Hearst, We're going to be talking about the very same thing. We're just using the banner of biblical community, B.C. 24. Now, understand, you can create community just about anywhere. I mean, you don't have to have the church or or a common faith in Jesus to experience community on some level. By nature, people build community around their common interests and affinities, whether that's a sport or a hobby or quilting or car enthusiasts or whatever— any of a million other things. But let me tell you, biblical community is something very different. It's unique because it's not based on uh, shared interests or ethnicity or, or portfolios. Biblical community is centered around the gospel. And it can take people who are in almost no way alike, people with very different backgrounds and interests and even political leanings like we have here. And the gospel binds us tightly together all the same. It brings unity in a group of people where human nature and logic says there should not be unity because it's not founded on our uh, interests or our preferences. Biblical community is founded instead on the gospel. That common faith in the gospel reaches across natural cultural barriers and it brings together people who may not look or sound or think alike at all. The gospel reveals that we're all on the same plane. Regardless of our background, we're all sinners before the Lord in desperate need of the Savior and then our common faith in the transformative gospel of Jesus Christ binds us together. So as we're going to explore throughout this year of 2024, biblical community, it is shaped by the gospel and it also reveals the gospel because it's marked by things like humility, acceptance, unity, 
empathy, hospitality, service, generosity, forgiveness, love, and so much more. Throughout this year, we're going to explore not only these elements of biblical community, but we'll be challenged to actively participate in biblical community. You see, for believers, as we saw in Acts 2, one thing led to another, and it went from gospel presentation down this chain of events to authentic biblical gospel community. But you know, for many believers, the chain of events stops at addition, and they never really experience true community in the body of Christ. They don't go any further. We've got to understand this morning that biblical community, it's not something that just happens around you or to you. It's not just something that you passively observe. Biblical community is something that you actively participate in. You and I are responsible to help foster biblical community. We've got to be actively engaged in it. And so together, we're going to seek God's gracious help to do just that throughout the new year of 2024. You see how we followed the the progression in Acts 2. Like that interconnected plate of spaghetti, one thing led to another. From the presentation of the gospel to eventually gospel community. And that's why we're committing ourselves to biblical community as the people of First Hurst in this new year. And so this morning as we come to our time of response, you know, it may be that you just need to come to the altar this morning and lay yourself bare before the Lord and say, God, I have isolated and I've not been part of biblical community and I've not helped to foster that. And so just reveal to me, Spirit of God, what I need to change to be an active part of biblical community in the, in the weeks and months that are ahead. Would you join me as we pray together? Father, thank you so much for the time we've had to worship this morning, time that we've had in your word this morning. I thank you for what's laid out for us here in Acts chapter number two, and I thank you that there is biblical community for believers in Christ. And what, a, what an important element of life that has become for so many of us. And Father, our prayer this morning is that as we have our time of response, that you would work in our hearts, Spirit of God, exactly what you want to, and that we'd be receptive and responsive to your Spirit. That one among us this morning, or maybe watching online, who's never trusted Christ, they're in this chain of events, they're back at gospel presentation, or maybe there's conviction today. God, may they take that next step and say, let's have a conversation. For many, there's, we've gone all the way to addition, but we've not really stepped out into community. Maybe your call upon us this morning would be just that, to lay ourselves bare and say, Spirit of God, lead me in how I can be actively engaged in that biblical community. We pray that your will would be done and that you would be honored and praised as we respond in faith and obedience to your word today. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.